Welcome to Practical Christian Living. You can keep all of the law, but if you don't have things right inside, and that's what matters. You can look as good as you want to look, but if it's on the outside, it means absolutely nothing. Following a list of rules doesn't do anything to keep you close to God. Why? Because it's all external, and a real relationship with God isn't based or grounded on a list of do's and don'ts. It's a matter of the heart. With more on our teaching out of Matthew chapter 23 and why the Pharisees had it all wrong, here's Robert Furrow. When you know that you're a sinner that has been saved by grace and that you have received the mercy and the compassion of Christ, then you lead others along the way of the mercy and the compassion of Christ. And through their arrogance, through their their believing that they had already arrived, they had blocked their own entrance into eternity. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He also said that some people would say, didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he will say, away from me, for I never knew you. You cannot say, I've been used by God or God's done miraculous things with me. What matters is humbling ourselves before him, calling out upon his name. And the Bible says that if you call out upon his name, you will be saved. If you receive him, that he will make you a child of God. And they were blocking the way for people to get saved because people thought that they had to be more like the Pharisees. The fifth thing that that Pharisees and Sadducees did is that they did not do the things they said. It says, woe uh, to you, verse 16, blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated to perform it. Now just think about that. They were saying, if I swear by the temple, I swear by the temple, I'm telling the truth. They believed they could have been lying. In order to really be telling the truth, they had to say, I swear by the gold of the temple. It sounds like a kid's game, doesn't it? And across my heart, hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. I'm telling the truth. They're playing games with the truth. Now, Jesus said, don't make vows, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. So you don't have to go, I swear, I promise, I promise you, I swear. Again, it's not, you don't go, it's not that you can't put your hand on a Bible in a a courtroom and, and, and make that vow. But Jesus is saying, be who you really are. Say the things that you say and do the things that you do. They didn't do that. They were always looking for a way, the loophole, so they could get out of doing what it was that they were supposed to be doing. He he says to them, fools and blind, For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sacrifices the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift on the altar is obligated to perform it. Said these tricky little things. I swear by the altar of God. And they didn't have to keep it. But if they said, I swear by the sacrifice on the altar, then they had to keep it. When I was a teenager, uh, we had a little statement among my friends where we would say, truth is a Christian. And if they said truth is a Christian, it meant they were telling the truth. You can lie any other time. But if somebody said truth is a Christian, yeah, truth is a Christian. Then you had to be telling the truth. That's exactly what they're doing. They have these ways that they can swear by something and and get away with it. Fools and blind, verse 19. 
For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sacrifices the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and all things that are on it. He who swears by the temple swears by the temple and him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So they must have also had their little statement, I swear to heaven. And if they said, I swear to the throne of God, then they would keep it or, or something along those lines. The sixth is that they left out justice and mercy. They kept the law, but they were not merciful, compassionate, and kind. He says in verse 23, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, for you pay a tithe of mint and cumin and anise, or mint, anise, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law of justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without having leaving the others undone, blind guides who strained out a gnat to swallow a camel. Now, there's a lot in that passage. They, they paid tithes on their spices. I don't know how much you make sure that you pay your tithe. Sometimes people will ask me, do I tithe on my gross or my net? And I always say, don't ask a pastor how much you should tithe. It's always gross. It's always going to be gross. It's never going to be net. You know? How much should I give to God? Here's a pastor's answer. All of it. All of it. Give it all to God. That's what God wants you to do. We give, a complete and total, give a complete and total sacrifice. But they were so uptight about the law that they tithed their spices and felt superior, felt justified because of it. But they were cheating people. They had no mercy. They had no compassion. They had no sense of justice. They were robbing people. He had said before that they took advantage of widows. They were looking for opportunities to enrich themselves and left off justice and mercy. I often say what God cares about the most between us is how we treat each other, loving God and loving one another. And that if we are, we're keeping God's law to the T, but we're not kind and merciful and compassionate and especially just, to be just is to be righteous, to, do, to treat people right, to be right with the people that are around you. Next, he said in verse 25, Woe to you, you scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside they are full of extortions and self-indulgences. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and the outside may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful outwardly, but inside you are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And I just got to say at this point, Jesus isn't playing. He's really letting these guys have it. And this he's making sure that they are right between, really right between God and man, not just on the outward. It'd be like you picking up a cup to clean it, cleaning the outside of it and putting it in the, you know, the cabinet and not worried about the inside of the cup. Of course we wouldn't do that. The first thing we want is the inside of the cup to be clean, right? More than the outside of the cup. Really, we'd like to have both of them clean. If you go to a restaurant, you get your glass of water and you look at it and there's something in it. And you're like, you've drunk a little bit of it already. And you're like, please, God, let that be on the outside of the cup. 
and not on the inside. You rub the outside and it's like, no, it's a dirty cup. So God says that we need to clean the inside first. Like the difference between the Pharisee and the man that went to pray to, at the altar. And the Pharisee walked up to the altar and said, thank you, God, that I tithe twice a day. Thank you that I, I am not like that tax collector. And then Jesus said that the tax collector wouldn't even lift up his head, but he beat his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, only one of those men left justified. You can keep all of the law, but if you don't have things right inside, and that's what matters. You can look as good as you want to look, but if it's on the outside, it means absolutely nothing. That was the seventh. Here's the eighth. Do not be like the evil of the past generations. He says, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, verse 29, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if I had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourself that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in the synagogues and persecute from city to city, which is exactly what Saul of Tarsus did, who became Paul. That, and by the way, he was a Pharisee that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom was murdered between the temple and the altar, which we don't know that story, by the way. We don't have that story anywhere. And I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. He was saying that they were living in a time where the Messiah had come to them. The Messiah has, was there, revealed to them right in their midst, and they rejected him. They murdered him, and they said, we would have never have treated Jeremiah the way Jeremiah was treated. We would have never have treated the prophets in, those, in that way, and they did the exact same thing. I wonder if we look at the past and think, if I were around in World War II, I would have never have let happen what happened to the Jews during the Holocaust. There's a Holocaust going on in our day. There are 40 million babies who are aborted every year in the United States. It's, well, I shouldn't, let me, let me say that more accurately. There have been at least 40 million babies aborted here in the United States, which is an absolutely appalling number. And I think that we ought to examine where we are as well and see how we can be involved. I've often said uh, over the abortion issue, I, I, I don't know what to do. I find myself not feeling like I'm doing enough and I don't know what to do. And, and I think you're like that as well. But I'm looking for opportunities to be able to be used by God to rescue babies and that we might see this thing come to, a, to the very end, that we might see this thing overcome because it's wrong. There's a lot of tension in the United States today about slavery. The abolitionist movement was big in the United States. There was 50% of the people in the United States believed that slavery was wrong and 50% of the people who believed that it was. And it was an economic issue, so there was a lot that was at stake. But it was overcome and by a bloody war because it was wrong. 
It's wrong for one man to own another man, even if you believe it's right. And it was overcome. And I believe that, that God tarrying, we will see abortion made illegal because it's wrong. I believe because it is wrong, it will happen. And we need to make sure that we're not just acting like we're superior, but we would look around in our day when we don't know what to do. Maybe many of them had no clue what to do during the days of the Holocaust. By the way, there's a lot of Jewish persecution around the world in our day as well. In verse 37, he now laments over the city of Jerusalem. He's done with his, I don't know if I should call it a rant or not, against the scribes and Pharisees. But now he turns and he gives us his heart. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, verse 37. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as hens gather her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, but I say to you, you shall see me no more till they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, in the closing of this chapter to these scribes and Pharisees, he says two things. Number one, that your house is left to you desolate. They would be destroyed. Jesus would utter, utter these words somewhere around 30, 31, 32. The temple and the Jerusalem would be sacked and destroyed by 70 AD. Within 40 years of these words being uttered, the city of Jerusalem would be completely destroyed and burned and the temple destroyed by Titus, the emperor. If you visit Rome today, you can go to the Arch of Titus and you can see the things being carried out of the temple. They had the candelabras there. This is in Rome and it was showing the conquering that, that Jesus foretold. And then finally, that one day he would say, blessed is you who comes in the name of the Lord. He speaks of his second coming. You know that many scribes and Pharisees before the time of Jesus, and we have their writings, believed that there were two messiahs, that there was a suffering messiah and a conquering messiah because they couldn't get their mind around how you could have a suffering Messiah like Isaiah uh, 53, and you could have a victorious Messiah like the very end of Isaiah that comes and establishes his kingdom and reigns and rules. They just couldn't get their mind around it. But now we know that it's not two different Messiahs, but it's one Messiah that comes twice. He came the first time as the suffering Messiah to open the way for us to make it into heaven. But one day he will come again and he will establish his throne here on the earth. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse one, I'm going away. And if I'm going away, then I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. He didn't say I'm going away and I'm gonna come back to you one day. He said, I'm going away and I'm gonna come and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. And the Bible says in Colossians that when Christ returns, we will return with him. There will be that day when the sky will part and Jesus will come through in all of his glory to judge all of the earth in the very last days, to make an end of everything, to wrap everything up. And what we are responsible for is how we live today. We consider the people around us. We consider the way that we live. And I would hope that there's no one here that has a tendency to be pharisaical. I hope that the things that we discussed, it's like you just kind of check them off your list. Nope, 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 nope. Maybe. Nope, nope. But that we would evaluate ourselves and say to God, the last thing I want to be is a Pharisee. I do not want to be pharisaical. I want to be like Christ. 
who showed love and, 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 and mercy towards those who were called sinners and showed an open door for them to come in, something the scribes and Pharisees would not do. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you that we can take time to see what Jesus had to say about these Pharisees. Summing it up here in Matthew 23, all the different encounters that he had with these men and how he just came to telling them exactly how it was. Lord, we are thankful that you've revealed these things to us, that we would not become prideful, that we would not become self-seeking, that we would not become spiritually prideful, but put Phariseeism away from us as far as we possibly can. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a couple of minutes. We're almost done. We'll dismiss you here shortly. I'd like to ask that no one would leave early. But if you're here today and you have never invited Jesus into your life, I'm so thankful that that doesn't happen by following rules because it didn't happen for them by following rules either. They had rules to follow. They just didn't follow them and they had to give animal sacrifices to cover up their sin. And so instead, he gives us love. We're to love God and we're to love one another and we fulfill the law and the prophets and we ask him to come into our lives. And as many as receive him, it says in John 1:12, he gives the power to become a child of God to those who call on his name. And that if you would believe in him, your life would be transformed. You would become a new creation. Old things pass away and everything becomes new. And if you would like to invite him in today, I want to give you that opportunity. But also, if you're here today and you made that decision in the past, but the Christian walk just wasn't what you expected and it was harder and so you walked away. Or, or maybe you got distracted by the cares and the worries of this world, the love of money, something else, and you didn't follow through. And so I want to give you a chance to come to him now and say, Lord, I want to come to you now forever. I want to give myself to you. I know what it costs and I want to stand for you, live for the things that you have called me to. And if you're here, I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand as well. So I'd like you to do something simple for me. You want to give your life to Christ? You want to come back to Christ? Then I'm going to ask you to do something simple. Just raise your hand. Lift your hand up now. God bless you. Lift it up high so I can see it. God bless you, sir. That's great. I'm going to go through the room. God bless you, sir. That's awesome. All right. And if you're listening to this on Reach Radio live, then you can call out to God right now. You could just literally say as I'm talking to you, Lord, I want to receive you. I want you in my life. You can call out to him. If you're watching live online right now, right where you are, you can, you can raise your hand. You can say, I want you, Lord, in my life. I want to surrender to you. Anybody else here? Just raise your hand. All right. You put your hands down. And I would like everyone including those who raised their hands here and, and online raised your hands or in your heart, you said, I want to follow Christ or you're listening to this on the radio and you want to follow him, I want you to pray this prayer after me as well. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned and I know my sin has separated me from you. But I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life. I turn from my sin that I can live for you 
in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. Now, if you made that decision today, we have a new believers table that's over near the wall here on my right side on the lower floor. We have a Bible, a new believers packet that we want to give you. If you're listening on Reach Radio, you could send us an email. You don't have to do it while you're driving, but you can send us an email, saved at calvarytucson.com. Let us know that you gave your life to Christ. The same is true on Facebook, YouTube, and, and on our webpage. But on our webpage, there's a button that popped up that said, I want to give my life to the Lord. Just go ahead and click on that button. And... Um, we're so thankful for God speaking to you. We believe that during these times, he's doing great things. And we can't wait to see what God's going to do with your life now that you've surrendered and committed to him. Now, I also want to do two more things before I go. I want to pray for you and I want to bless you. I want to pray for a miracle. There may be a healing that's needed. Maybe it's a financial miracle. Maybe it's a miracle in your marriage. Maybe it's another miracle. I mean, there's all kinds of things that could be happening that you know that, that God knows. And I want to pray for that. I want to pray for those of you that are anxious or depressed. The suicide rate in the United States has gone up since the whole COVID thing. A lot of anxiety out there. A lot of depression. People not knowing where things are going. I want to pray for you. I want to pray if you're oppressed, if there's some demonic spirit that is somehow oppressing you. I want to pray for you. The Bible says, be anxious about nothing but everything in prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And I want to do that for you. And maybe there's some disorder, maybe panic disorder or OCD. Our God can do anything. So we're going to pray for all those. So if you need any of those things, then I'm going to ask you to reach out your hand to me while I pray. And also, if you know someone who you want to pray for, you don't have those things in your own life right now, you don't need to call, ask him for any of that. That's great. But you know people. So reach your hand out as well and you pray for them as I pray for you and let's join together in these things. Father, first of all, we want to pray for a miracle. You've said that we would lay hands on the sick and they would recover. You've said that the prayer of, of faith would save. Lord, we, we pray that you would do a miraculous work. You've said if we ask anything according to your will, you would do it. That if we ask, we would receive and we don't have because we don't ask. And so we're asking you to touch and heal today in the name of Jesus. We're asking you to set people free financially or, or within their marriage, their relationships. That there would be a breakthrough. Lord, we also pray for those that are struggling with depression and anxiety. We are thankful for what you have done in our lives and what you have given us and how you have taken care of us. And we do ask you for these things, that the peace of God would guard our hearts and minds, that we would be full of your peace even in times of testing. I pray for those that have anxiety, for those that are panicking, for those that have some kind of a disorder. Lord, there is nothing too hard for you. And we pray in the name of Jesus that you would intervene. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. May you stay well and healthy, but even more, be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Stay true to his word. And the Bible says, and then you will have success. And then you will be prosperous. Remember who you are, a holy priesthood, a royal nation, God's own special people. And he's called you as light and salt out in the midst of a dark world. 
Stand boldly for Him and allow God to use you in these dark days. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kagan 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.